Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to the History Today podcast. In this episode, Matt Carr discusses one of the key turning points in the American Civil War. General Sherman's march to the sea, his rampage through Georgia, which took place in 1864 during the American Civil War, is one of the most controversial episodes in US history. And it's the cover story of the November edition of History Today. And its author, Matt Carr, joins us. Hello, Matt. Hi. Um, I wonder if, first of all, for those who are unaware or unfamiliar of Sherman's March to the Sea. If you could give us a, a quick summary of its course and perhaps explain some of its aims. In September of uh, 1864, Sherman's army, his 100,000 strong army, um, captured Atlanta uh, which in Georgia, which was a, a, a major gain for the Union. Um, having captured Atlanta, um, Sherman was faced with various alternatives, really. He could either stay in Atlanta, garrison it, which would mean that he would have to kind of guard an attenuated supply line that went all the way back to Nashville, which would have used up a lot of his army. So basically, he had um, maintained um, an offensive momentum ever since the invasion of northern Georgia in May 1864. So he was in Atlanta. Um, he could either hold on, to, hold on to the city that he'd captured or leave some of his army there and go north to help um, General Grant, the commander of the Union Army in Virginia, who was then locked into a stalemate with Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia around the capital of Richmond and Petersburg. Um, instead, Sherman decided to do none of these things. He decided um, he did not want to use up his army defending Atlanta and defending the supply line that he would have had to depend on to keep that garrison um, open. So he decided to go south into Georgia and he had the explicit objective as he, as he took his army through Georgia. His aim was to basically teach Georgia in particular and the South in general a lesson um, that they would not forget that he hoped would have a psychological impact, not just on the um, military effort in itself, but on the civilian population of Georgia. He thought that if he took his army through Georgia and he smashed up all the... Um, anything to do with uh, war production in the state, that he would demonstrate to the South that they had lost the war, that they could not win, that there was no point in continuing. This message wasn't only intended to be transmitted towards the opposing army. It was explicitly aimed at the civilian population. And so um, there was some doubt in September and November, some arguments between um, Grant and Sherman. There was a series of uh, telegrams went back and forth as they debated what should be done. And Sherman had to convince Sh uh, Grant that this was a viable strategy. Sherman, um, unlike Sherman, uh, I mean, basically all the 
Union generals by that time had accepted that um, in order to win the Civil War, it was not simply a question of defeating Confederate armies in battle. They, they saw that the civilian population in various ways was um, facilitating the war effort, and they were shocked and surprised by how long the Confederacy lasted, even after they'd inflicted some serious defeats on the Confederate armies. So many Union generals saw civilians as part of the new way of waging war, that you didn't just fight armies, you also had to kind of punish civilians, you had to destroy war, source, war resources, which inevitably affected civilians as well. But Sherman, perhaps more than any other Union general, um, had a psychological, had an acute insight into the psychological dimensions of warfare. He, um, he, he called his campaign in Georgia not war, but statesmanship. That was his phrase for it. And he said that um, he wanted to penetrate to the inner recesses of the South and show them and demonstrate to them that everything their newspapers and politicians had told them, you know, about the, um, that the Confederacy could survive through sheer willpower. He wanted to show, to demonstrate through the presence of his army, through the destruction that it could inflict, that this was not true. So in a way, it was a kind of early version of what the Pentagon now calls information warfare, without stretching that um, anomaly uh, comparison too far. And that's basically what he did. He marched his army, uh, he, he stripped his army down to two um, wings marching about 20 to 40 miles apart, parallel to each other. Um, he, he basically traveled with very few supplies, just, and he ordered his army to rely on the population, on the country they passed through to survive. And um, by marching in two wings, he was able to divide what uh, Confederate forces were actually in Georgia. There weren't many, about 15,000, compared with Sherman's combined army of about 60,000. So on one level, there was never any possibility, really, that um, his army could be stopped, given that it was that, given its size. But um, had the Confederacy understood his strategy better, and had they been able to concentrate their forces, they could have slowed his armies down. And there was the possibility that they might have stopped it, for example, when it was trying to cross rivers. And if they bogged his army down, they might have um, undermined his whole strategy. Grant was aware of that, and so was Lincoln, which is one of the reasons why the two of them were both a bit reluctant to um, to accept this strategy in the first place. But um, they did, the Confederates didn't do that. Sherman um, moved his armies with great skill and great speed um, through the state of Georgia, reaching um, uh, Savannah, the coastal city of Savannah, in December, where he, um, just before actually capturing the city, he basically was, uh, his army was resupplied by the Union Navy. And he stayed there. We, we often think of the march to the sea. It's often described as the march to the sea, um, which it was. That's the, that's the part of the march that was... Um, most famous. But actually, if you look at Sherman's marches, um, he, they didn't end in Savannah. Um, he gave himself little, little more than a month to refit his army. And then he marched north again to Virginia. Um, his ultimate objective was Virginia through the Carolinas. Um, and he inflicted far more damage on the Carolinas, especially South Carolina, which is considered to be the kind of uh, the heart, heartbed, the seedbed of the rebellion. He inflicted huge damage on that state, more than in Georgia, in fact. And um, the march didn't really come to an end until April in um, 1865 in the capital of North Carolina at Raleigh. And by this time, it had become clear that the Confederacy was um, on the point of collapse. And it did collapse um, that same month um, for various reasons. Sherman's um, army is one of the reasons. It wasn't the only reason. And so um, that is, the, that is the, um, the strategy that Sherman put into practice in the last year of the Civil War.
And he says something about the nature of the civil war. I mean, we, we, um, we know this um, from the English civil wars, from other civil wars, that there's a level of vindictiveness that's there. Do you think that's true of Sherman's campaign, that there is something beyond merely the tactical and the strategic? Yes and no, really. I mean, I think one of the one, in terms of understanding why Sherman did what he did and why the um, why the um, Republican Party and President Lincoln approved of what he did, and what, and also in terms of understanding why the Northern public approved of what Sherman did and why they actually celebrated that claim, because on one level you, it's it's kind of um, there have been many occasions in history in which armies have done this kind of thing, scorched earth campaigns, um, punitive counterinsurgency campaigns directed to civilians that support guerrillas and so on. Sherman didn't invent these tactics. He didn't invent um, the psychological strategy himself. Um, so, you know, to understand why this developed within the Civil War itself is, I mean, at the beginning of the Civil War, the Union leadership had a relatively conciliatory um, policy towards the South. They were keen not to alienate everybody in the South. They thought that the rebellion was supported by a minority of the Southern population, and they they believed that if they, um, for example, respected in the initial part of the war, if they respected the right of Southerners to have slaves in some states, that they could keep some states on side, and they did do that. Um, but they didn't do it enough. And as the war um, progressed, and as some um, Union armies began to penetrate into the South, and often were in the position of occupying large sections of Southern territory, they found themselves under attack by um, what they used to call bushwhackers, guerrillas, basically. And they began to realize that actually the rebellion had far more popular support than they'd thought, and that um, the guerrillas who were attacking them were surviving because of that support. So many Union generals began to change um, towards the policy that came under the name of hard war. They began to think that it was not enough just to win battles, that you could do things, for example, like um, you could carry out um, punitive operations in response for attacks on Union troops and so on. So lots of um, um, Union generals began to do this. Sherman... Um, probably took it further than anybody else because he developed this punitive strategy into a kind of comprehensive um, view on how you could win wars between um, two relatively equal opponents. I know people don't think of the South and the North as um, relatively equal given the kind of disparity in population and war production and so on. But each side had certain strategic advantages that meant that the war dragged on much longer than, it sh than people had expected on either side and that it became much nastier, much bloodier and more vicious. So by the time Sherman actually carried out this campaign, this was after more than three years of war in which, um, which had basically stunned, shocked um, the American public on both sides Huge casualties, unprecedented casualties have been um, generated by some of these battles. And um, so really, there was an element of vindictiveness in it for sure, particularly in South Carolina. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Sherman himself, um, writing to the um, Union commander Halleck in December, said that his whole army was burning insatiable with an insatiable desire to inflict vengeance on South Carolina. They, they regarded um, the South Carolina, they used to call it mockingly the chivalry, the aristocracy, um, there was absolutely no doubt that there was real vindictiveness went into that campaign in particular, much more than Georgia. But the mythology of him as being the inventor of total war is an exaggeration, if, if, if not just simply wrong. I think it is, and many historians think it is too. I mean, there's various reasons why that happened. I mean, one is that Southerners, um, there was this idea that Southerners had a certain um, image of themselves of the way they fought wars and the way the Union fought wars. And the, the Southern 
um, self-image, military self-image, was chivalric warfare, that um, Southerners fought fairly, gallantly, in a Celtic fashion, as some of them used to put it, um, whereas the Union didn't. The Union was mechanical, um, anonymous, unheroic, brutal, ruthless, and, um, and merciless. And so Sherman, um, through that campaign, became the epitome of that form of Union of the way that the Union was perceived to be fighting its wars. In some ways, it also suited the South, um, really, when they lost the war, to have this um, idea that they'd lost it because the other side didn't fight fairly, because the other side was more brutal, because, they, um, because Robert E. Lee was more honorable in the way that he conducted his occupations and his invasions of the North than the Union were when they invaded the South. In some ways, this was a convenient way of understanding the war and remembering the war. Um, it slotted neatly into the kind of lost cause um, romanticism about the, about the war in the South, the idea that it had been a noble, brave cause, fought um, bravely and had lost against an inhuman and brutal enemy. So in some ways, um, that image was basically was developed in the years after the Civil War. And then, um, particularly beginning with the um, Southern historian John Bennett Waters' famous article in um, 1948, in which he, he basically said something to the effect that General Sherman was responsible for levels of torture, violence, and cruelty unprecedented in American history. Um, this was around the time when the, um, the idea that Sherman had not only defeated the South through these exceptionally brutal, unprecedented methods, but he'd also created a kind of template of what has been called total war. And then you have historians like Little Hart. Little Hart actually doesn't really take the view. The, the British captain, Little Hart, British military strategist, um, who had a, wrote a lot of books, um, influential books in the first half of the 20th century, he doesn't actually argue that um, Sherman invented total war, but he does argue he, that Sherman's um, emphasis on, on um, tactical flexibility and fluidity and mobility in warfare paved the way for things like the Blitzkrieg, um, tactics used by the German generals in World War II. So personally, I think that the idea that Sherman invented um, total war is exaggerated. Um, some of the things he did, as I said before, armies had done for centuries. Um, but it must be said also that Sherman did, he was probably um, a little bit ahead of his time, really, in the sense that he anticipated, he saw that um, warfare, the idea of the Napoleonic decisive battle, that basically two armies engaged in a decisive conflict, one of them killed more people than the other, and then it walked away um, winning, and then there'd be peace terms after that. He saw, through the experience of the Civil War, that this no longer was possible. This was no longer likely to be the future of warfare. It took the rest of the world a while to realize that, because in a way, despite what had happened in the Civil War, the lesson of World War I is that many armies didn't realize um, what Sherman had already seen. And do his achievements... Um suffice to call him a great commander? There is dispute about that. I mean, Albert Castell, one of the, um, one of the um, key historians of South, uh, who's, who's basically done a, a, a famous book um, looking at Sherman's campaign um, to capture Atlanta, um, he argues that Sherman, like many of the other generals in the Civil War, was a flawed commander, was not necessarily the, um, the great um, all-seeing genius that, that his supporters, because that's another thing to remember, is that um, Sherman has many critics, of course, um, those who have accused him of being a monster, etc., etc. But he also has many supporters. Little Hart being the most obvious. Um, Little Hart um, saw one of Little Hart's biography of Sherman, which he wrote in the um, 1920s. 
Little Hart portrayed Sherman as the kind of forgotten genius of the, uh, of the Civil War, even more than Grant, and argued that he and his tactics were, were the key reason why, um, for the Southern defeat in the, by the, in the end of the war. So um, basically, I think you can say that Sherman was a great commander. You can say that he was a great commander in, the, in, the, in, his, in his, um, the, the skill with which he could move troops at great speed and um, in enemy terrain, and the way that he always um, maintained um, what Little Hart called the ability to sell the dummy. That was Little Hart's rugby phrase that he used to describe Sherman's tactics, i.e. that Sherman, by marching his army in two wings um, and moving at speed, would always um, make it difficult for his opponents to, to, to know where he was going to go. One of the reasons why he was able to move so quickly through Georgia and also in South Carolina was because the, the few Confederate forces that were there were never exactly sure where he was going to take his army. Sherman usually left his two wings at least uh, two options and sometimes more. The Confederates believed, for example, that he was going to attack Augusta in Georgia, which where they had a very large um, gunpowder manufactory. And Sherman led them to believe that and then simply moved away from it. And he did this at various times. Another time when he was in South Carolina, he seemed to be moving toward Charleston. And then he simply moved away from Charleston. Um, and it, so these kind of tactics were used to great effect later by, by Patton, for example, during the, um, after the Normandy landings um, through um, the Third Army's march through the Third Army's Sherman-like rampage through France. In fact, Patton, um, according to Little Hart, said that uh, before he um, carried out his campaigns in Brittany, he was going to carry out a super-style Sherman march. So, you know, Sherman has had an impact for sure. And there's no doubt that um, in, in military terms, he was a, a great general, but he, was, um, he made mistakes as well. And um, there, are, there are people, including Albert Castell, that, uh, that argue that he should have taken his army directly into Virginia after capturing Atlanta. And that it would have been, he would, he might, there, I think Castell has also said that the Civil War might have ended sooner had he done that. Well, Sherman is certainly a remarkable and fascinating character and Matt Carr's article on Sherman's March to the Sea is the cover story of the November edition of History Today and for those um, who want to uh, explore more about um, Sherman and his campaigns we can recommend Matt Carr's book Sherman's Ghosts, Soldier Civilians in the American Way of War which is published by the New Press and uh, thank you Matt thank for you. talking to us and uh, thank you. Thank you very much.